WHMP. Welcome to the show, and we welcome to the show if technology has, well, helped us this morning. We welcome Senator Joe Comerford. Senator Comerford, are you with us? And the answer to that question. Hello? Yes, hi. Can you hear me? We can hear you. You are live on the air. Thank you. Thank you for being with us this morning. Good morning. Glad to be with you. So, Senator, uh, you're nearing the end of the legislative session. Can you tell us, please, uh, what is on the agenda and what you hope to accomplish in the next literally few weeks? Um, thanks, Bill. Absolutely. I think you said it's very faint. I'm having a hard time hearing you, but I think you said we're nearing the end of the legislative session. Yes. And what the heck's going to happen? Yes. Okay, very good. Um, so you are quite correct. We are careening toward what is called the formal end of session. We never adjourn for, we never adjourn for good in the Massachusetts State Legislature. Work continues. We're a year-round legislature, but it is common practice in so-called normal times, um, and we did not do this uh, at the end of the last session, and that's because we were in the middle of a fairly raging pandemic, but it's, it's common practice to, at the beginning of August, go into what are called informal sessions. Business will continue to get done, we'll be in the districts working, we'll be in Boston, um, in meetings, we'll be planning the next legislation that we're going to file in the forthcoming session. So work doesn't stop, but we stop meeting in formal sessions. And formal sessions are where we vote on bills. And voting on bills, you know, happens because, one, it's required, for example, a, um, something called a land-taking, or where the issues are so acute and, and, and so complex that there isn't anything that we can do by acclamation or by voice vote, which is what happens in informal sessions, meaning, you know, the details are worked out in advance and folks understand what's passing and, it's, um, and we're able to move legislation. You'll remember that 6,000 bills are filed, so we can't ever stop chugging through them in the legislature, but in formal sessions we vote. So... So uh, let me ask you this, Senator, if I might. Members of conference committees. So what's happening now between now and the end of July? Um, there are numbers of conference committees chugging away. Uh, there is a Vote Act conference committee. You'll remember that the House and the Senate have different ideas about voting expansion. That's chugging away. We want to see a conference report that will require a vote. The Climate Conference Committee is chugging away. Similarly, um, uh, we're going to have to vote on that final report. Most recently, a budget conference committee uh, has been appointed for the fiscal year 23 budget. That's going to chug away, and we'll have to vote on a final report before it goes to the governor. Then there are three bond bills that are moving their way um, through the legislature. Remember, bond bills are authorizations to bond or to borrow. So they're not uh, spending like we think of spending in a budget or a supplemental budget. They're authorizations to borrow should we need to. Senator Comerford, can I interrupt you there for a sec? Sure. What I'd like to know is this. Um, I understand, and we've talked about bonding before, and it's the way in which the Commonwealth and municipalities also uh, 
pay for large projects, essentially by uh, taking out debt with the public. It's a bond. The government gets the money. The project goes forward. It's paid off over time. That said, I'd like to go back to this informal versus formal session idea because come July 1st, as I understand it, you'll go into informal session. That is, the Senate will go into informal. August inf- 1st. August 1st now. August okay. 1st. You'll go into informal session. An informal session, as I understand what we just said, means that there has to be unanimity. There can't be any dissent in order for something to pass in an informal session. Is that right? That's correct. And all the details are worked out. So we'll hear of bills that are going forward in an informal session, or they'll be local bills. They'll be what's called home rule bills. Um, which move, you know, pretty quickly because the municipality has made a decision. It goes through the committee process and then out onto the floor. So we don't hold up municipal municipal work often unless it's a land taking. So if there is any controversy whatsoever about a bill, it's not going to pass in informal session. Come August 1st, it's only by acclamation or unanimity that a bill is going to pass. Absent, Absent that unanimity, the bill's going off into, well, legislative Netherland, or it's going to come back in the fall. What happens to those bills? Yeah, good question. Um, Right now, we don't know. Um, We don't know if we'll come back. Last session, Bill, as you remember, it was my first session. It was COVID. Um, We came back and worked uh, all the way through uh, because we had needed to get business done on top of all the COVID-related business that we had gotten done. I don't know that we'll come back at the end of 2022 before the next session to do outstanding business. Um, so this is, this is a, beyond my ability to know right now. Uh, I, I would be in favor of coming back. If we do not come back, anything that we don't scoop up um, starts again in January of 2023. The last bunch of things that I was going to say are on the to-do list are the bills that have passed either the House or the Senate um, and need to get passed by the other branch. I have a couple of these myself. I have a bill that I have two bills that passed the Senate, one a, a reshaping of local public health. It's a pretty massive bill. And the other is a gender X, so an X designation, a non-binary designation on all state documents and birth certificates and licenses. Neither has passed the House yet. Um, and then there are... Have, excuse me, have both passed the Senate? Yeah, um, a couple times. Um, so, uh, and then there's, you know, and the Senate has a mental health bill that we want the House to pass. The House also has bills that we should pass. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure there's some horse trading happening right now on these outstanding bills. And then the last are, there, you know, there are bills in the pipeline if a bill right now isn't in the pipeline, meaning it's being worked on in Senate Ways and Means, the chances of it passing are very small right now. Um, and so the lists of bills that we know are alive um, and viable is pretty small, given everything that we have to do. The budget, is, has it been passed and adopted and signed? Are we done with the budget? Sure, yeah, that happened a couple of weeks ago okay. in the Senate, and it happened before that in the House, and so that's the Budget Conference Committee, which was appointed just on Friday. And so they're going to get work, get, it, get to work reconciling um, the House and Senate versions. 
um, you know, like in other things, you know, the House was very good on some things, the Senate good on others. And the hope for this time when there is significant public money afoot would be for us to take the best of both worlds and get it passed. So there needs to be a conference committee uh, resolution. There needs to be some, yep. I don't want to say compromise, but adjustments in both bills in order to come to one right. bill. And then it goes back to the Senate and the House for an up or down vote. Is that right? Yep. It's only an up or down vote. On conference reports, it's just up or down. We can't amend them uh, because the process would go on forever. Is there any sense that the governor is more attuned to this budget and more in line with the legislature than in years past? Uh, no, not necessarily. Um, you know, the, the, governor, um, the governor doesn't always see eye to eye. Uh, you know, in the bucket of work facing the legislature is an override, for example, of his veto of the, family, the Work and Family Mobility Act. Um, so, you know, we don't see eye to eye with him entirely, uh, but um, that's okay, right? It's our job to act in the best interests or what we think are the best interests of constituents. And when we disagree with the, the governor, we override him, which is what we'll do on the Work and Family Mobility Act. Yeah, could you spend a minute there and explain to us where that is, where that stands legislatively at this point, the Work and Family Mobility Act passed? It the passed both chambers um, with a veto-proof majority. It went to the governor. Um, it was reconciled in conference. It was slightly different. It was reconciled like lightning. It went to the governor. The governor vetoed it. And now it's before both chambers for an override. Um, and once it's overridden, it'll be law. When will that happen? I, I hope very soon. Uh, perhaps this week. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I can't tell you this House's calendar. But I know it's a priority in the Senate to get this done. And uh, I'm excited about it. You have two bills pending that when you say your bills, you really mean your bills. You were the sponsor and the, and the lead on, the, on these two bills, one of them the Gender X bill, uh, one of them having to do with uh, a re the relationship of the, uh, our municipalities to, um, I believe, uh, local public health. Um, and I'd like to know, when you talk about having your priorities, those priorities enacted, what do you need to do? What needs to happen now as we get down to the wire? Well, the simplest thing is that the, the House needs to pass both of those bills. Um, and then the Senate will act to repass them, essentially, and then they'll be on the governor's desk. Um, and then there are other bills that you know I filed along with great House members like um, Rep. Dom, Rep. Blay, and others um, that are incorporated, for example, in the climate bill. Um, we've got a couple bills in there, uh, that three bills, actually, that I filed are in the big climate bill. So we're fighting for those. Um, you know, so it's, uh, think of it like juggling puzzle pieces. Um, they're all up in the air right now, all these different bills, and our job is to keep track of them and keep advocating and mobilizing outside pressure for these so that they, they're retained in the bills or passed on time. Everything has to be passed in time, for example, for the governor to veto it, should he disagree, so that we can override, should we have that majority. So we don't have a lot of runway left. Senator Comerford, could, could you go back to the climate bill, which we've talked about in the past, and tell us where that stands, what's in it, and what you expect to be the resolution of the differing 
uh, bills that are, or at least uh, positions that have been before the House and the Senate? So the House passed a great climate bill. It was largely focused on wind, and the Senate passed a climate bill, and it was largely focused on solar. And there is a conference committee meeting now, and has been for some time, endeavoring to reconcile two very different proposals. You know, this is a massive piece of work that, that's before the conferees of the climate committee, uh, with, you know, as you know, Bill, significantly high stakes. Um, both of these are pretty huge proposals, and they are doing their best to figure out how to bring them together. We are speaking with State Senator Joe Comerford. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to have this question for the senator. In terms of the climate bill, in terms of promoting uh, wind and solar, is there money attached to these bills? Is the Commonwealth, in fact, going to make this investment this next year? We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. There's the Sauvignon Blanc side and the salami sandwich side, the brick and feather beer side and the broccoli side the deli side, and the Don Julio side. State Street in Northampton has two sides. Grocery on one side, beer, wines, and spirits on the other. Cooper's Corner in Florence has two sides. Grocery on one side, beer, wines, and spirits on the other. But the nice thing about State Street and Cooper's, you don't have to pick a side. You can choose both sides at both stores. The world feels so divided sometimes. For once, don't choose sides. Go to both sides. At both stores. State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits in Northampton and Cooper's Corner on the other side of Northampton in Florence. Two sides, same coin. Yankee Home is having its biggest sale of the year. Right now, you can save up to $2,500 in free labor during Yankee Home's Thank You America Month. If you call Yankee Home right now and mention WHMP, you can save big on a new bath or walk-in shower. You can also upgrade to the kitchen of your dreams or install new energy-efficient windows and doors, all with up to $2,500 in free labor by calling and mentioning WHMP right now. It's Yankee Home's Thank You America sale now through July 4th. Visit Yankee Home right now for more details. When somebody dies, even if it's somebody old or somebody sick and the family is expecting it, it's still a shock. For the past 110 years, the Saluzniak family has opened the doors to their home for generations of Hampshire, Hamden, and Franklin County families, offering comfort and guidance when it's needed most. There's a certain assurance from knowing that for 110 years, four generations have offered caring help with honesty, integrity, understanding, and the highest standards. The Saluzniak family wants you to know they understand things may have changed, but their dedication to helping your loved ones in your time of loss has never wavered and it never will. They are here for you taking every precaution and will help you understand how you can pay tribute during this challenging time. Saluzniak Funeral Home up at North Street, Northampton. Oh, people have always had a hard time saying Saluzniak. It seems that the CZ always gets everybody. Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton. They're not easy to spell, but they are CZ to spell. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you are an adult looking to improve your reading, writing, and math skills, or if you want help preparing for the high school equivalency exam and preparing for college. 
To find out about our free classes in Franklin and Hampshire counties, check us out online at literacyproject.org or call us in Northampton at 413-584-6755. If you want to learn, the Literacy Project is the place for you. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with State Senator Joe Comerford, who is with us every month. We really appreciate her time and her time that she spends with us and therefore with her constituents as well. Senator Comerford, we were talking before the break about the climate bill, one in the House, one in the Senate, very different, different priorities and focuses. You believe that there's going to be a conference bill, a bill that will come out of the conference committee that essentially will uh, bridge the gaps between them and or merge those bills. What I want to know is in terms of moving at long last the Commonwealth of Massachusetts uh, into the uh, this century, is there going to be money attached to these bills or are these just policies, policy enactments? Well, it's a very good question, right? Because uh, policy without funding is a hollow gesture. In, um, in all of the spending vehicles in this last couple of years, there have been significant upticks in spending on, on a green infrastructure, if you will. Um, and that includes things like um, this, Mass uh, vulnerabilities program that's climate mitigation and adaptation, uh, and then in the budget there's pretty significant um, money on green infrastructure, EV charging stations, for example. Uh, in the supplemental budget, in the ARPA budget, also pretty significant investments. Now, folks will ask, is it is it enough? And I will tell them, no, it is not enough. And that's why we have to pass something called the Fair Share Amendment. The Fair Share Amendment um, will raise significant funds uh, by taxing folks with incomes of a million dollars or more, uh, taxing them a little bit more than that, than the, than the rest of the folks. Um, and those, those dollars will go to both education and transportation. And our transportation sector is one of the sectors that emits the most carbon uh, along with the building sector. And we need and can and should do more on public transit, on greening the transit, on subsidizing um, uh, the grid that's necessary um, to distribute power. All of that is tied to needing more money in the budget and needing a greater investment. We also, of course, have to look to federal dollars because as you know, Bill, the state has to balance a budget and can't borrow so, so much uh, because then um, we get into trouble on debt service, taking too much of a percentage of our um, annual budget. So we do need the federal government amid all of its, the things that it's juggling to focus on the existential threat of climate and work with states on a green transition. I'd like to turn our conversation, Senator, if I might, to two matters that are before the United States Supreme Court that will have an enormous effect here in Massachusetts and across the country. One is the expected decision of the Supreme Court to reverse Roe versus Wade to essentially uh, prohibit reproductive choice as a constitutional right in this country. I know that the legislature is taking actions, or at least anticipating taking actions, in response to that ruling, that forthcoming ruling. Can you tell us what those actions 
by the legislature will be in your judgment? Sure. And it's important for us to always say in these moments that we have enshrined the right to choice, the right to reproductive equity in the Commonwealth through something called the Roe Act, which passed last session. So abortion is safe and legal here in the Commonwealth. We asked ourselves in the Senate, you know, with the threat of the Supreme Court's decision, what could we do? And there are numbers of legislative proposals before the body, but what could we do in the Senate? And so in this last budget, um, we did two things. One is we put in $2 million uh, to improve reproductive health care access in the Commonwealth, and that supports abortion funds in the Commonwealth, like the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts. And so we are actively funding um, abortion rights funds, like the one in Western Massachusetts. We also put more money in for family planning, and that, of course, is uh, for organizations like Tapestry, the Stellar Tapestry um, in Northampton and around the region. Um, but then we wanted to go further, and we passed something called Amendment 388, and this was a, a collaboration between folks like Senator Cindy Friedman, who's just a real tenacious champion, and Senator Cindy Cream, Majority Leader, and this amendment did two things. Um, one is it, um, it protects providers and patients in the Commonwealth from legal repercussions in other states when they provide or receive, and uh, this is reproductive health care services or gender-affirming health care services in Massachusetts. Uh, so we also introduced the Senate's commitment to gender-affirming care, equally under attack, as you know, in states across the, the nation. We also created a statewide standing order for pharmacists to dispense emergency contraception. Uh, so um, that's, there's a standing order now in pharmacies if this becomes law, and it uh, prevents Massachusetts courts or law enforcement from assisting efforts initiated in other states to enforce their state laws against reproductive or gender-affirming health care services. Um, it's a pretty massive amendment. I spoke to it on the floor, um, but it is, you know, it's what, what we're talking about here in Massachusetts as um, the threat of the overturn of Roe v. Wade looms. We're talking about going beyond Roe in uh, the Commonwealth, and that's being led by amazing organizations like Reproductive Equity Now, the ACLU, Planned Parenthood. They're saying, you know, Massachusetts has to double down and actually push out the boundaries of reproductive equity and choice even further, and gender-affirming care even further. And so there is this uh, Beyond Row agenda, um, and that agenda is bold and necessary. And um, some of the components of Amendment 388 were on that agenda. And the agenda, of course, is much longer than that. But, um, you know, Amendment number 388, uh, you probably know there were, I think there were 1,800 amendments filed in the budget debate. So this is one of the ones that passed, uh, but it is not yet a guarantee. It has to be held in conference. Um, and that is something that, you know, I'm advocating for actually uh, this morning. I'm, you know, I started my, or actually I'm finishing my letter to the conference committee saying to my colleagues in the Senate, hey, fight for Amendment 388, you know, because it's not in the House bill and fight for the $2 million uh, to the abortion rights funds. We need both to, uh, to make it through. 
these are not in the House's proposal, and so they're certainly not guaranteed as the conference committee kicks off. Let me note for our listeners, if they want to know more about what they can do, you can do, to try to preserve and protect constitutional rights, specifically the right to reproductive choice in Massachusetts, you can see the proposals of the Beyond Row Coalition at MassBeyondRow.com. Senator, before you go, if you have one more minute, I'd really appreciate your perspective on one other matter that's in front of the Supreme Court, which is the right to carry guns. And the Supreme Court will decide, we don't know how expansively, it will decide the case that came up to the court from New York that raises the issue, is there a constitutional right to carry guns? outside the home, loaded firearms. And I'm wondering whether our legislators in Massachusetts are looking at that and trying to see what can be done to preserve gun safety. Because in Massachusetts, as you know, and as I know, we have, I think, the safest state in the country because, in fact, we have reasonable, rational, sensible, logical, and effective gun safety laws. So help us with that, if you would, Senator. Yeah, I'm glad you're talking about gun safety, Bill. Um, uh, certainly, certainly, people are watching that. The, the the very good thing about Massachusetts is I do think we've done the work across differences to talk about common sense gun laws or gun safety laws, um, and you know that do not infringe on people's interest in in having guns uh, and using guns, but also do not lead to um, guns being so readily available and misused so as to really, um, really be used, you know, in these tragic circumstances like we've seen across the nation and we continue to see. Uh, so there's a pretty clear consensus in the legislature, and I, I do think in the executive office um, and in the agencies that, you know, that Massachusetts will be ready to um, to pivot as necessary. Uh, we are not talking about concrete proposals like we are, for example, with Roe. Um, but but I imagine I imagine there being a quick and ready consensus built should we need it. We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with State Senator Joe Comerford, who is with us every month, the first Monday of the month. Thank you so much, Senator, for your time, for your representation, for fighting for us. We really appreciate you and your time. Get in on the conversation. Call 413-586-7140. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The state fire marshal is investigating a massive fire on Saturday that destroyed five buildings. The fire started at the old cereal factory building on West River Street in Orange and brought together over 20 area fire departments to fight the blaze. Massachusetts Department of Fire Services sent in multiple units to support and relieve the firefighters. Community members, organizations, and businesses also came together to support the personnel working the fire with water and food. No injuries were sustained. Anyone with information on the fire is encouraged to call the Arson Watch Reward Program hotline at 800-682-9229. The program offers up to a $5,000 reward for information that helps solve or detect arson crimes. Huntington voters approved two Proposition 2.5 overrides on Saturday to fund their public library and ambulance service. 
The $86,328 override to fund the library's budget passed by 169 to 71 votes, according to unofficial results, while the $58,777 override to fund the ambulance was approved by a 177 to 62 margin. If the override for the library had failed, it would have faced closure on July 1st. And the average price of a gallon of gas continues to rise. In Western Mass, the average price is $4.96, according to AAA. One year ago, gas prices were about $2 cheaper. Partly to mostly sunny today, mild, a high of 80 to 84. Variable clouds tonight, overnight low of 50 to 56. Windy mix of sun and clouds tomorrow with a high of 76 to 80. Some rain likely tomorrow night and some showers on Wednesday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Con el inicio de junio como el mes del orgullo de la comunidad LGBTQ, la ciudad de Springfield celebró por primera vez un desfile y actividades de celebración en Court Square el sábado. En el desfile participaron diferentes grupos de jóvenes, al igual que organizaciones de servicios sociales, negocios, iglesias y miembros de la comunidad LGBTQ y aliados. El soleado clima del sábado contribuyó al éxito del desfile y la celebración, en la que cientos de personas se dieron cita para celebrar y establecer este evento como un una nueva tradición anual. Cabe destacar que este año los desfiles del orgullo en Northampton y Boston no se llevaron a cabo, por lo que la celebración del sábado en Springfield adquirió mucho más relevancia como evento de representación. Por otra parte, la ciudad de Holyoke celebrará este lunes a las 5 y 30 de la tarde a las afueras del edificio de la alcaldía una ceremonia de izamiento de la bandera del orgullo con la que darán inicio algunas actividades para la comunidad LGBTQ en Holyoke a celebrarse durante el mes. En otras informaciones, cuando los líderes se reúnen esta semana en Los Ángeles en la Cumbre de las Américas, con el presidente mexicano Andrés Manuel López Obrador encabezando una lista de líderes que amenazan con quedarse en casa para protestar por la exclusión de los líderes autoritarios de Cuba, Nicaragua y Venezuela por parte de los Estados Unidos, los expertos dicen que el evento podría convertirse en una vergüenza para el presidente de Estados Unidos, Joe Biden. Incluso algunos demócratas progresistas han criticado a la administración por ceder ante la presión de los exiliados en el estado indeciso de Florida y excluir a la Cuba comunista que asistió a las dos últimas cumbres. Para impulsar la participación y evitar un fracaso, Biden y la vicepresidenta Kamala Harris han estado hablando por teléfono en los últimos días con los líderes de Argentina y Honduras, quienes inicialmente expresaron su apoyo al boicot propuesto por México. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is Mayor's Monday on WHMP. We have with us this Monday the mayor of Northampton, Gina Louise Shera. Thank you, Madam Mayor, for being with us. I'd like to start with something that looks so cool. Um, Summer on Strong is back. What a fabulous, fabulous uh, uh, series of events and a place and a venue here in Northampton. You also had an announcement last week about Masonic Street, Masonic Street Live. So I'd like to at least have your perspective and some overview with regard to, I think, these new initiatives to, well, revitalize the new New Northampton. So help us understand what's happening, both from an uh, economic point of view as well, for, as well as a point of view of what this does for the fabric of Northampton. Gladly, and good morning, Bill and everybody. Um, I am so happy to talk about this 
So Friday night, we kicked off Masonic Street Live, um, which is going to run through September 3rd. So this, um, this sort of annex that we're calling Masonic Street Live has a performance stage and public seating and outdoor seating. And it is a collaboration with Iconica Social Club um, and the city. And performances will um, continue what Iconica Social Club has been doing and offering and are coordinated by our arts and culture department and the parlor room. Um, so on Monday nights throughout the, the summer from six to eight, there will be salsa dancing lessons um, in that space for, uh, so lessons for beginners featuring DJ Roger Jr. Um, and then on Friday and Saturday nights, that space will be programmed with local artists performing on that stage from six to 8 p.m. Um, and we're just, we're very excited about it. The schedule will be available at NorthamptonArtsCouncil.org. Um, and you can check, check, go back there regularly and seeing, see what's available every weekend. Um, and if you wanna get your salsa spruced up, um, go there on Mondays. Um, so this is another in, real significant effort and investment by the city to support our downtown economic recovery from the pandemic. Um, you know, Summer on Strong was a huge success last year. It is back and bigger and better than ever. And we, you know, we really believe that through the creation and support of these communal outdoor spaces and live entertainment um, that we, not only do we believe it, we know we can see from um, our economic um, markers that this Summer on Strong was very successful and we are really confident that now bringing this space up onto Upper Main Street, we're gonna continue that energy up the street and um, we've, we just invite everybody to come out and enjoy those spaces and the music and all that, um, all that my economic development team has been working on and collaborating with folks. Um, we're, it's, I'm huge thanks to them. They have brought so much creativity and energy to, uh, to help, help our downtowns recover from the pandemic. So I'm, I'm very grateful to them. Can you give us some more insight about the plans for recovery? Because between these two amazing venues, between Summer on Strong and Masonic Street Live, there are a number of empty storefronts. And um, I find that concerning. And uh, much as there is a lot of vitality in downtown Northampton, the city lives. Uh, Saturday this weekend was just gorgeous downtown. All that having been said, there are a, there are a disturbing number of empty storefronts and uh, I guess we should bring this fact into the conversation. The long-term director of planning, Wayne Fiden, is retiring. That's an enormous loss for the city. So perhaps you can tell us what the economic planning team, who it will be or who it is, and what the plans are. Sure. So, there, yeah, there are some empty storefronts, some that have been empty for years and years and years, we know, um, and have talked about many times. Um, others, you know, there, there's just kind of a constant rotation of new businesses coming in and then some older ones leaving. And, you know, we had a huge loss recently with Sylvester's, um, which, you know, I had been going to Sylvester's since I was in college. Um, that is that it's very hard to lose something that's just become the fabric of Northampton like that. Um, so some, particularly some of these older establishments are kind of moving on and doing other things. Um, Roberto's is still around, so that's, we're very thankful for that. But, um, and, you know, just sort of a shout out, I know that um, for Sylvester's, if someone is interested in, in taking over that space and keeping Sylvester's going, I know that the owners would be really open to that. So if anyone out there is listening, please, you know, feel free to contact my office or contact them directly and we'll connect you. 
Um, so, but there is, you know, I, there's rumors about some of those empty spaces that um, people are looking at and there's, you know, there's kind of a constant regeneration that happens that is, is sometimes hard to remember when you see something iconic like Sylvester's going, but um, there is a lot of energy. And so my economic development team, it's, it's Annie Lesko and Alan Wolf in my office. And I, again, I've just been so impressed with their, their dedication and the energy that they bring to this, to thinking about our downtowns and being very creative, um, how we can um, bring up, you know, create development, but also revitalize things that we've loved in the past. Um, and they're working very closely with the DNA and the chamber and um, they, they really do a remarkable job. I also want to shout out arts and culture and DPW for all of their work for getting our outdoor, outdoor dining going this year. It's a huge undertaking to, to do all of that. Um, yes, Wayne Fiden is retiring. This is a massive loss to the city. So Wayne has been a part of our Northampton government for 33 years. For 25 years, a quarter of a century, he has led the Department of Planning and Sustainability. Um, he has served under five different mayors and there, I think you could certainly say there's maybe no one who's left a larger um, imprint on Northampton than Wayne. And so I'm deeply, deeply grateful to him and sad that I didn't get more time uh, directly working with him as mayor, but um, he, after all of his years of service, deserves a wonderful retirement and to travel, which he loves to do. So, but it's a huge change. Will there be a nationwide search? What will happen in trying to replace Wayne Fiden, who I agree has had an enormous influence on Northampton? Yeah. So Assistant Director Carolyn Mish has been named as the interim director of planning and sustainability. Um, Carolyn has worked with Wayne for 22 years. Um, so she has a long history with the city. Um, so she's interim and we have already posted a search and, um, and we'll go through that process to find a new director. Let me turn, if I might, to a related topic, I think, related, uh, and yeah. that's the ARPA funding. Uh, yes. It's the money coming to us from the federal government, the American Recovery Plan Act. It's a lot of money. And I'm wondering if you can tell us how it is going to be spent and because it is specifically designated to help municipalities recover from the pandemic, how that money you anticipate, how you anticipate that money being used. Yes. So actually the community component of um, our ARPA funds. So I've designated um, $4 million of ARPA funds. So that's about 18% of our um what our allocation to community recovery and so we've appointed an arpa commission um this is a group of area specialists and stakeholders um on um the areas that we know that people are interested in supporting in our in northampton um and they are going to advise me on how to distribute these funds so they are starting a huge part of their work they have eight listening sessions that they are beginning this week. Um, and we invite all Northampton residents and community members, as well as Northampton based businesses and nonprofits and organizations to share their thoughts uh, um, on the needs that they have or needs that they see in Northampton as um, for us to recover from the pandemic. And so these eight sessions are gonna be held at different locations and times throughout Northampton and Florence. 
and we'll be trying to also get feedback on the development of the application process that the commission is creating um, for people, communities and residents to apply for these funds. And then they will make recommendations to me on how we should distribute those funds. So I wanna make sure that people know that um, the first session is actually tomorrow. And some of these sessions are in person, some of them are virtual over Zoom, and tomorrow is actually a hybrid. It is Tuesday at 12 p.m. These are also at different times to, you know, work with different people's schedules. So we have them different times in different locations. So tomorrow is 12 p.m. And that is in person in the City Council Chambers at 212 Main Street behind City Hall, but it's also going to be available uh, by Zoom. So if you go to the City website, you can get the Zoom link for that. Um, and businesses and nonprofits um, are specifically encouraged to attend tomorrow and also at the one on June 16th, but everyone is welcome to attend any session they choose. Um, so these are eight different sessions, so I'm not going to go through every um, every one of those, but again, there's the one tomorrow and then there's also one on Wednesday in person at Jackson Street School. Now that one is has childcare available. So um, if you would like to attend one of these, but you know that you need some child care help, please contact my office um, and we will we will help you schedule that for that one on uh, Wednesday. Um, so my office, the phone number is 413-587-1249, or you can email at mayor at northamptonma.gov. And we'd be very happy to help you um, schedule that child care. And there will also be a Spanish language interpreter at that um, at that session on Wednesday at Jackson Street School. Um, so please, I hope, you know, we, we've tried to schedule these in a way that everyone should be able to attend at least one of them. And we really want to hear people's, uh, their thoughts and what's, you know, what the needs are that they still see. Is there a direct connection between the revitalization of downtown, new businesses, and the hope for new businesses coming to the city, and the expenditure of these ARPA funds? I think so, and that's why we we have folks on the um, commission who represent. Um, we have um, someone from the chamber. We have people who are sort of representing the the business needs and the struggles of businesses during the pandemic. So yes, we we tried to have broad representation on the commission of people who are um, from sort of different different sectors that we heard from. It, we took you know did a survey in the fall, and we heard from from the community the things that people are most concerned about or, or where they've seen um, the most struggle and need. So, um, so there's definitely is a connection there. And so we wanna um, make sure that those voices are represented in addition to all of the work that the economic development team is doing um, to help recover from the pandemic. We are speaking with Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Shera. We were gonna take a quick break and when we come back, we'll turn to the front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, Dateline Northampton Council OK's budget with 4% increase, approves mayor's $126 million spending plan, including 1.26 million for the new Department of Health and Human Services, which includes the Community Responders Agency. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. The election was not stolen. Trump-appointed judges say it was not stolen. Republican-led investigations say it was not stolen. Republican officials responsible for county votes say it wasn't stolen. And if you're an elected official and you continue smashing the truth, even after all that we have learned about what happened on January 6th, you are supporting fascism. WHMP 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. 
When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. River Valley. Co-op. First, you're going to install a Goshen stone patio. From there, the stone walkway to the new garden. Next to the garden, the pond, you have it all planned. You were going to do the patio five years ago, the walkway the next year, and the pond, was that this summer? Where do the weekends go? Call Beyond Landscape, the take back your weekend people. Get it all done this summer or plan and budget it out over a few years. The patio, the pond. If you have ideas, make them happen. Call Beyond Landscape. WHMP is looking for organizations that regularly distribute information about employment opportunities to job applicants or have job applicants to refer. If your organization would like to receive notification of job vacancies at our station, please notify us at Careers, WHMP Radio, 15 Hampton Avenue, Northampton, Massachusetts, 01060, phone number 413-586-7400, or email jobs at whmp.com. Saga Communications is an equal opportunity employer and encourages minorities and females to apply. Hilltown Families, a community-based education network in Western Mass, believes in creating resilient and sustainable communities by developing and strengthening a sense of place. Together, we are creating a new culture of intentional learning, one that is based in our communities and infused with local and personal values, supporting authentic connections through self-directed learning. Each week online at hilltownfamilies.org, we identify embedded learning opportunities found in local events and resources, interpret the educational and social value of engagement, and share with our readers smart ways to engage in their community and with one another. When we make learning inclusive, accessible, and intergenerational, bringing people together through a shared interest and creating a shared history, we strengthen our sense of place and our sense of self. Join us at hilltownfamilies.org. Subscribe and discover your community while participating in the creation of a new culture of intentional learning. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Northampton Mayor Gina Lee Shera. Again, on today's front page of the Daily Hampshire Gazette, Council OK's budget, that's Northampton's budget, with 4% increase. I read the first graph, which states that the council... Well, let me read it. The city council passed Mayor Gina Louise Shera's first budget in office on Thursday night, approving a $126 million plan that increases spending on schools, public health, and libraries, while funding the new Department of Community Care and raising property taxes by 2.5%. We'll talk about that in just one minute, what that really means. The budget that takes effect on July 1st is 4.07%, just titch over 4% higher than the current fiscal year, due to depressed revenues, including parking and marijuana receipts, coupled with higher costs on insurance and low projected growth in the tax base, most departments will remain funded for services, for level services in the new fiscal year. So explain that to us, if you would, Madam Mayor. Uh, most departments are being level funded, and yet there's a 4.7% increase in the budget itself. Why? How? Well, so first, they, they're not being level funded, actually. They're, it's a level service budget. So we have accounted for the increases that happen every year. 
many of them are usually around personnel increases. Um, but sort of requests for new programs or new spending in departments, we um, really kept to a minimum because um, we know that some revenues are down and there were some other needs that needed to be met this year. So we've kept level service, so people should know residents should see sort of a difference in their service. But you know, there there were some requests that um, we weren't able to meet that departments had wanted for um, for for next year. So level services means the number of personnel in the department continues, the service and the work that they're doing continues, but there are increased costs because there are negotiated raises. There are increased costs yeah. for uh, products and. Uh, uh, for material and the like, so the budget goes up, but it's level in terms of what the departments are, uh, the work that they're t undertaking. Exactly right. And, you know, this year, we certainly have seen increased costs in terms of um, our energy costs um, and materials costs. So uh, there's some key places where we tried to incorporate um, you know, sort of a recognition of increasing in gas and electricity prices to just more realistically budget for next year. Uh, there is a nice shout out to you from Ward 5 Councillor Alex Jarrett, who says, quote, I very much appreciate the strong support for the schools and even the extending of ourselves a little bit further that is comfortable as we recover from the worst of the pandemic. That said, I would like to know what the budget does with regard to the Department of Community Care, now part of the Department of Health and Human Services, and what you see in terms of implementation and that department being fully functional. Yeah, so the second um, largest increase in appropriation that happened this year, um, in addition to the schools where we gave a over a 5% increase, um, was to the new um, health and human services department that we've started. So uh, the health department has transitioned to Northampton Health and Human Services, and the Department of Community Care is under um, health and human services. So they had um, a significant increase there as uh, we brought that new department into, that, into there and gave it an increase. Um, and then also just an acknowledgement of sort of the changes that have happened in health and human services. So um, there, uh, they have a, a their increase is six hundred and sixty-six thousand dollars. So it's actually the largest percentage increase um, for a department, um, even though it's it's not the largest dollar amount increase. Can we talk about the police department in the minute and a half we have left. The budget mm -hmm. was cut. The police budget was cut some ten percent a couple of years ago. The budget is, in fact, about level funded. It's $7,600 less for next year than this year. Um, what, what is the state of the police department? Because there's some concerning uh, facts in today's Gazette article about the number of officers who had resigned after the uh, reduction in the funding for the Northampton police. Yeah, so Chief Casper um, at the budget hearing she was at last week really spoke very directly and um, poignantly about the effect that she is still seeing of the cut that was made in 2020. And, um, you know, 10% may not sound like a lot, but it actually is a very significant cut. Um, and it was in addition to the increase that Mayor Narquist had removed that year, and then there was the 10% cut on top of that. 
So, um, you know, it, that is, it's had multiple effects, right? It, there has been an effect on morale and there, there have been um, quite a few members of the PD who have left to join other departments. Um, and it's, um, you know, in terms of staffing, we, so to incorporate that cut, um, they had to go down about, I think, five positions. And uh, Chief Casper would argue that that's, they feel like that's not a sufficient amount of officers to have to be able to um, have every shift, uh, you know, be, be fully staffed to the extent that it should be. Okay, we're going to leave it there. We'll continue this conversation and other and others next month on Mayor's Monday with Northampton Mayor Gina We Share. Madam Mayor, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your leadership. These are not easy times. We really appreciate all your work that you're doing for this community. So thank you so very, very much for that and for your time with us. Thank you. Thanks so much, Bill, for that. I appreciate it. Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, public health nurse with the City of Northampton. The Northampton Health Department is holding vaccination clinics in Northampton and other locations in the region. Outdoor walk-in availability has reopened at the Northampton High School. Dates, locations, and appointments for all clinic sites can be found at the City of Northampton website. Go to www.northamptonma.gov and click on Vaccine Clinics. The clinics continue to offer Pfizer, pediatric Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and in special situations, Johnson & Johnson. Clinics will also offer boosters to anyone ages 5 and up. The COVID vaccine is free for anyone from any community. Please bring your vaccine card and insurance card. If you do not have health insurance, you can still have a vaccine. Public health nurses are available at every clinic for your questions or concerns. Booster shots are one more layer of protection against COVID-19, and they prevent a huge number of people from needing to go to the hospital. We want to protect our most vulnerable or simply unlucky neighbors from getting the virus. We can't afford the to let our guard down. The only local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10